This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows. The good guys lost Everybody knows The fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Live from Toronto, Canada The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett From Zoomer Radio AM 740. Welcome, friends, to the broadcast for Sunday, March the 7th. And we will traipse over into Monday, March the 8th. Hope you'll be with me for the duration right through until 1 a.m. Eastern as we come to you live from our cozy little studio here at 550 Queen Street East in the great city of Toronto. And uh, at 12.30, we will open up the lines for a half hour of open lines where I'll invite you to come to the phones with your spine-tingling tales or anything of a conspiratorial nature. And at midnight, speaking of the paranormal, supernatural, uh, we'll be joined live from Belfast. A very interesting gentleman. He's been with me several times before. He's a wonderful raconteur, uh, Dr. Bob Curran. I don't know what he's a doctor of. I'll have to ask him. But I know he's uh, done stints as a gravedigger and a musician and a lecturer. But he's also one heck of a storyteller, as I say, and a, an author. And his latest is A Field Guide to Werewolves, Lycanthropes, and Shapeshifters. And I know, I'm not sure if it's still uh, in theaters and available to moviegoers, but we had The Wolfman. Uh, is that the Dan? Is that still kicking around? The werewolf, rather? The werewolf? Is that still in theaters? Or did it, uh, it had a weekend and then it closed, uh, as so often happens these days. I heard some relatively good things about the film. Anyway, uh, Dr. Bob Curran will, hear, will be here to sort of separate the myth uh, from, uh, I guess, the facts and uh, walk us through the legends of, uh, of werewolves. A field guide to werewolves. Not exactly the Audubon Society's field guide to uh, birds, but it'll be interesting nonetheless. All right, up first. You know, the, the whole global warming hysteria 
uh, has really quieted down, hasn't it? Since uh, well, just before uh, the uh, the big Copenhagen uh, summit on global warming, which went nowhere predictably, uh, we had the whole email uh, kerfuffle out of East Anglia, the uh, the control re- the, the the climate research unit there in East Anglia, and the leaking of some rather damning emails, which suggested. Well, I would I would go further than say suggested. I think pretty well laid it out on the line that the data in support of man-made global warming was fudged, manipulated, massaged, however you want to look at it. Uh, and, and from my perspective, was um, I guess I would put that in the suspicions confirmed file. This is something I had always long suspected. You know, people always uh, when you when you confront them with a uh, conspiracy theory or you, um, you you lay one out there, oftentimes they'll say, "Well, no, I don't believe in that because something like that, you if it was a conspiracy, you couldn't keep it quiet. Eventually, someone would find out about it." Well, here's a perfect example: the global warming conspiracy, caught red-handed, as far as I'm concerned. My next guest is a, a broadcaster, researcher, and has been studying the global warming issue for, it says here, two decades. Many of us weren't even familiar with the man-made global warming uh, 20 years ago, but he's right on top of it. He's here to discuss the deception of global warming. He's also going to reveal some classified information from uh, the U.S. military and tell us how the government's designated safe, uh, tell us about the government's designated safe havens and the highly classified timetable for the onset of the abrupt climate change and rising ocean levels coming our way. He first fought terrorism in 1967, and he's fighting it today. Walking patrol in Vietnam at night alone, he searched for terrorist booby traps. He searched for terrorist bombs in his Jeep and saw what happened to those who didn't find them. He flew 57 combat missions over Vietnam and Cambodia many of those being hit by enemy gunfire. He went on to join the Green Berets at Fort Bragg, where he trained to invade the Middle East. He also did classified studies of Middle East terrorists for the special forces, special operations, covert operations, psychological operations, undercover operations, surveillance operations, bodyguards. He was, uh, served as a bodyguard for executive stars like Jane Fonda, Charlton Heston. He's a private investigator, a, farmer, a firearms instructor, an intelligence analyst, homicide uh, um, analyst and also has found time to be a husband, father, and uh, grandfather. And he's uh, known as the Liberty Man. And uh, you can hear him on uh, the Republic Broadcast Network. It's a good, great pleasure to have John Moore, J.R. Moore, here on The Conspiracy Show. Hello, John. Richard, good to be with you. Thank you, sir. Do we call you John or J.R., or which do you, which do you prefer? I answer to both. Uh, John's fine. All right. Uh, John, let me ask you uh, first, uh, dial back to your military career, and you you talk about uh, fighting terrorism today. Uh, But uh, given what we know, uh, uh, and I I don't know if you're, you know, I've never talked before. I don't know if you're sort of in step with this line of thinking. But if we look at the global warming hoax as an example of certain elites trying to manipulate us uh, through fear, 
perhaps towards, uh, you know, a, a, as part of a march towards uh, a one world government, etc. Has your thoughts about who the terrorists really are changed since you were walking patrol in Vietnam? Well, we were to save them. Uh, the use of offensive operations in Vietnam was authorized by something called the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which was passed by Congress following the alleged Gulf of Tonkin incident where allegedly North Vietnamese gunboats attacked the United States Navy ships. We now know that that was a complete fabrication and never happened. So most of those 55,000-plus names on that black granite wall in Washington, D.C. Washington, are there because of the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which was a fabrication uh, to allow offensive operations in the Republic of Vietnam. We had, you know, there was no vital U.S. national security interest at stake in the Republic of Vietnam. Uh, certainly the people of the Republic of Vietnam had a lot at stake and a lot to lose, but it was not a matter of U.S. national security. It was a matter of those people's security. Unfortunately and sadly, that's what that war was based on, was a complete fabrication and lie. Well, the Gulf of Tonkin, uh, the Gulf of Tonkin, uh, with the uh, remember the Maine, uh, the Reichstag fire. Uh, it's just history uh, right. repeating itself over and over. Uh, yeah. So, do you see uh, Afghanistan, Iraq in the same light? The uh, the war, the, the joint resolution authorizing the president to use force in Iraq has about seventeen or eighteen whereases. I keep copies of it handy at all times. You can tell by reading it that the main focus of the U.S. Congress, when they when they authorized the use of force against Saddam Hussein in the country of Iraq, their main focus was nuclear weapons and a nuclear weapons program, which of course was a fabrication. Uh, General Colin Powell was given a pack of lies. He he was told it was the truth, and I think General Powell is an honorable, honorable man. You notice he didn't stick around too long after making that uh, speech to the United Nations, trying to get the United Nations to act and take and, and, and pass a resolution themselves. So that war was based on a fraud. The uh, war in Afghanistan, uh, going after the Taliban because of a connection to 9-11, it would be kind of like going after a motel operator because he rented the room to a murderer. You know, the Taliban had nothing to do with 9-11 except they provided space for the real terrorists to train and hang out, so to speak. But the, but the people involved in, in crashing those planes were Saudis. It was Saudi Arabian people, Saudi Arabian money, Saudi Arabian belief systems coming out of the Wahhabis. If there's any enemies in, in the war on terrorism, it's in Saudi Arabia, not Iraq, not Afghanistan. Saudi Arabia and the Wahhabis. That's that's the people who hate us. That's the people who are funding the real terrorists and providing the uh, intellectual, psychological, spiritual guidance for these men who want to hurt Americans. John Moore is uh, known as the Liberty Man, and he's a uh, a broadcaster of the Republic Broadcasting Network. When can you be heard? Uh, uh, on uh, that network, John? Oh, I'm on the radio all the time. Uh, Sundays uh, on the East Coast time will be 4 to 6 Central Sundays on Republic Broadcasting. Monday through Friday on the Micro Effect, East Coast time would be 8 to 9 a.m. 
on the micro effect. And Friday afternoons, East Coast time, let's see, it would be 5 to 6 p.m. on Genesis Broadcasting. I co-host a show with Dr. Bill Deagle uh, on Genesis. Now, there's links to my website to the first two shows. I don't have a link set up yet for the one on Genesis. All right, uh, John, stay put. When we come back, we'll uh, get into the, uh, the whole global warming hoax, deception, whatever you want to call it, what the government isn't telling you. And uh, or us rather, we'll talk about some of these uh, classified documents you uh, got your hands on. And uh, I'm fascinated by the fact you've been studying this for two decades. It really hasn't been on the radar for for ma- many of us, most of us, probably for. Uh, we can go. In, we can get into all that, Richard. I look forward to it here. All right, back with more of the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. John Moore, broadcaster, researcher, Global Warming, What the Government Isn't Telling You, is a CD culminating uh, two decades of research. Now, as I said earlier, uh, John, most people haven't been aware of uh, global warming for, uh, for, for, two, for two decades. You've been studying that long. Where did it begin for you? Well, I got involved in a research project, and I, I tend to do these things just because it's kind of who I am with a background in military intelligence. Outside St. Louis, Missouri, my hometown, um, I was training with the U.S. Army Special Forces in the late 70s, early 80s, when the uh, Department of Energy announced a Superfund cleanup site at the, near the training, right next to the training area, to allegedly clean up nuclear waste, which they did clean up some, by the way. There was a plant there back in the 50s and 60s that made uh, nuclear material for the military. But then after they ran it for about two years, they announced they were cleaning the mili- clean- closing the military training area because of nuclear contamination also. That was my first red flag because we, without telling the Army, without the Army's knowledge or consent, we brought our own radiation detection equipment back there in training operations because we wanted to have children that had arms instead of flippers. Mm. So we did this on our own, and we never found anything above normal background radiation ever. So that's when I started paying attention to the Department of Energy Superfund cleanup site, and that began about 1983 or so, and went until fairly recently. They were working out there for the better part of 20 years, allegedly just cleaning up nuclear waste. Over those two decades, I did uh, interviews with people who worked there as employees, people who worked there as outside vendors, I took photographs on the ground, I took photographs from the air, and I did FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests. And my file on on that area is about uh, four inches thick. And I found some amazing things, and one of them, for example, Richard, with current telephone technology, uh, one telephone line with digital telephone technology can be used by three users at the same time. Right. Now, this is a no-big-deal construction site, is what it was. 
And I found I got on their letterhead, on Department of Energy letterhead, they admit to having 500 telephone lines at a no-big-deal construction site. I went ahead and interviewed several job site managers uh, from other job sites, career construction site managers. They told me that in their 25, 30-plus years, they never saw more than 50 phone lines at any construction site ever. Very large commercial construction sites, by the way. And they had 500 at this Weldon Springs Remedial Action site. These Superfund cleanup sites, Richard, were all over the United States for years, back in the 80s and 90s. And here's the deal. Almost nobody understands the engineering to clean up nuclear waste. Almost nobody understands how long it takes. And most important of all, drum roll please, how much it costs. The attitude of the congressman whose districts these things are in is basically, get this stuff out of here. I don't care how long it takes or how much it costs. I want this stuff out of my district. And Congress opens up their checkbook to the Department of Energy to get it done. The Superfund cleanup sites, Richard, became black holes of unaccountable money for as long as the government wanted to do it to do other things. And what they did was build a command and control center at this particular one at Weldon Springs, Missouri. In fact, you can go out there right now. They've, they've shut it down and turned over the, the above-ground part to Lindenwood University. But between two of the buildings out there, they still have the telephone service box, which is six feet tall and eight feet long. And there's nobody even out there anymore, but the telephone service box is. So what's going on, John? What are they, what are they doing? Well, they built a, they built a command and control center, an underground command and control center. Uh, my FOIA requests were very revealing. They had one of the people, one of the subcontractors was Worldwide Telecommunications uh, from, from back in New Jersey. A friend of mine said, he said, John, if you're building a brand-new Pentagon, Worldwide Telecommunications will get the contract. Another subcontractor, a German subcontractor, had one has one product, only one product, and that's massive tunneling machines. That's the only thing they build and sell, and they were one of the subcontractors also. One of the um, employees that worked there is a Department of Energy employee, in-house employee. I spent the day debriefing her, and she's become a friend. <laughs> she, wore, she wore a colored ID badge, James, that restricted her from going into certain parts of the administrative part of the, of the uh, project out there. It allowed her to go to some parts and, re- and prohibited her from going to other places. That's called compartmentalization. That's how you keep secrets. What secrets would you possibly want to keep in a no-big-deal construction job site? Well, they did, and, the, and that was part of it. And that's how the government keeps secrets, is with compartmentalization. They're very good at it. They've been doing it for many, many decades. What are they building, uh, uh, John Moore? Are they building some uh, massive underground uh, containment uh, center for uh, the continuance of government? Command and control. Okay. It's it's called Continuity of Government Contingency Planning. This particular site at Weldon Springs is command and control where hundreds of men and women with their families could live and work and play for years underground if necessary. And if necessary, it's coming up pretty quick in our face here. Now, you got my DVD, didn't you, Richard? I did. That's uh, gl- global warming, what the government okay, isn't telling I you. I had a chance to look at it or not. 
uh, one of the things I put on there, and I, I, I put this information out for all your listeners, uh, simple Google searches anybody can do to find the government press releases that they're moving to high ground right now. And here they are. CIA in Denver. The CIA is moving to Denver. They're doing it right now. NSA, National Security Agency, in Denver. NSA and Utah. They just announced this a couple of months ago. They're moving, uh, building a brand new computer center 20 miles south of uh, Salt Lake City in the desert. Another one, Plum Island, as in Peach Apple Plum, Plum Island, and the word Kansas. Now, Richard, if you and I were building a facility to study really fun stuff like anthrax and foot and mouth disease, wouldn't we put it on an island in the Atlantic Ocean? It would be a pretty smart thing to do, wouldn't it? Well, that's where it was just off the coast of Long Island, I believe, is it not? Plum Island, right. it's a it's level... 100 f- miles northeast. Yeah. Right, 100 miles northeast of New York City. Plum Island has been moved to Kansas. What a smart thing to do. Move that to the most productive agricultural real estate on the planet, Kansas. Hmm. They're doing it because they have no choice. Plum Island's going to be underwater. How about the EPA libraries, plural? You know, Richard, if you file a grievance against your employer, it's like suing your boss. Not really career-enhancing, is it? No, no. You're supposed to say, yeah, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, in the summer of 08, (laughs) in the summer of 2008, the EPA closed all four of their libraries to even their own scientists. The largest English-language collection of cross-referenced scientific uh, articles and journals and and, uh, documents that they need to keep us safe. And the scientists, God bless them, they filed grievances against their boss, the EPA, saying, we can't do our job. Gentlemen, you've cut us off from the research material. We need to keep America safe. The EPA says, well, we're closing these libraries to save money. And then the General Accountability Office, the GAO, says, no, it costs more money to shut these four libraries down than to keep them open. Well, they're being moved to high ground also, Richard. They can't afford to lose that collection. So it's being moved to high ground. The only way you can do that, of course, is to shut them down. John, uh, when you talk about... the same thing. Okay, but when you talk about the nature of... When you talk about the the global warming deception, you and I are coming at this from, uh, I think, different angles, obviously. Uh, I mean, I... When I, when I look at... Uh, I call it a global warming hoax. I don't believe in man-made uh, global warming. Uh... I don't either. That's a, that's a deception. That's a hoax. Right, but your but it's a cover story because that's the nature of the deception. But you're saying that that the ocean levels are going to rise, but it's not man-made global warming that's responsible. That's correct. And uh, one of my major sources for this is debriefing retired U.S. Navy submarine veterans who were in the classified briefings. That these classified briefings began in 1979. And what these men were told in these classified briefings, Richard, is during your lifetimes, gentlemen, not your your children's, not your grandchildren's, during your lifetimes in the future, these oceans are going to come out of their basins and flood all low-lying areas 400 feet uh, above sea level and lower, east coast, west coast, gulf coast. The Great Lakes and and the Mississippi will become, the Great Lakes will become a massive inland sea stretching all the way to Hudson Bay which is basically going to wipe, cut Canada in two, and uh, the Mississippi River itself will be 50 to 100 miles wide and a couple hundred feet deep, 
cutting the United States in two. That's what these men were told in classified briefings. And they were shown a map, the map that appears in my DVD is a recreation working with several Navy veterans uh, to recreate the Navy's classified map showing the, what North America will look like. All right, listen, we'll, we'll take a time out, to, uh, John Moore. When we come back, we'll um, discuss exactly how these ocean levels are to rise and where the global warming hoax fits into this. Why do we need a man-made global warming cover story? John Moore is with the Republic Broadcasting Network, ex-military. And his uh, DVD is Global Warming, What the Government Isn't Telling You. We'll tell you how to get a copy of that as well. Keep in mind, coming up after midnight, we'll speak with Dr. Bob Curran and his uh, new book, A Field Guide to Werewolves, Lycanthropes and Shapeshifters, open lines at 1230 Eastern. Stay with us. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. John Moore's confidential sources have learned via classified government briefings that in the very near future, there will be rapid, violent, ocean-related events, including flooding and tsunamis. U.S. government scientists are saying that Arkansas, Missouri, the Missouri Ozarks will become a series of islands. John Moore is uh, with us, and his uh, DVD is entitled Global Warming, What the Government Isn't Telling You. So uh, if these uh, violent ocean events are coming this way, uh, first of all, what is the timing of, of, of this, John? Uh, do your sources or these classified well, it's, documents... It's a time frame. It's, 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 well, it's a time frame, Richard. It's not a date. And we're in the time frame now. Uh, very strange thing. And the first thing I would ask your audience, the following question, would the federal government of the United States of America lie to us? And if you and I were in an auditorium with a couple thousand people, they'd all be laughing yes and nodding their heads up and down wouldn't they well my motto has always been the government is not well, here to help <laughs> precisely um it doesn't take much it wouldn't take a whole lot of water for the arkansas and missouri ozarks to become a series of islands the state of missouri has more bridges than, than any of the 50 states including alaska or texas we have a lot of streams many of these bridges are what we call low water bridges uh, if the water was up just five or six feet, it would cut off uh, a lot of people from having uh, easy ways to get around, shall we say. So that wouldn't take a whole lot for that to happen. What these men were told in these briefings changed their lives. Uh, one of these men has a is 100% disabled from radiation exposure on a nuclear submarine, and he's gone public because they can't take his... He doesn't have a pension. He's on disability. They can't take it away from him. His name's Tim Spencer. Him and his wife are both from Central Florida. They will, I also teach concealed carry, as you know. And they were both pistol students of mine uh, the spring of all, oh nine, And we're having lunch together, and his wife's talking, and she says, John, I don't like cold weather. I don't like cold. Uh, I don't like snow. I don't even like Missouri. But I'm here because of that darn map. <laughs> right. When, they, when he retired from the Navy, they, they moved to the Arkansas, um, Missouri Ozarks, because of the map that's on my DVD. 
And because Tim Spencer was told by a senior NCO, what they call a chief petty officer, that the Arkansas-Missouri Ozarks is one of the known safe havens from these events. And we have literally thousands of retired Navy people in the zip codes of the Arkansas-Missouri Ozarks because of these briefings and what they learned and the maps that they saw. And that's why they're here, Richard, is because of that map and what they learned in classified briefings. These safe now, havens are not... Ask, where, where is this water going to come from? Go right. ahead. Okay, I, w- I was going to say, these these safe havens are not being shared with the general public because the uh, the government realizes this is an inevitable situation. There's nothing much that can be done about it, so and they're not going to save everybody. They don't want 275-plus million people showing up in the Ozarks. Uh, so that is no. that the rationale? No, sir. No? Well... I- I can't speak for them, obviously, but 30 years ago they made the decision to take care of their own people and everybody else would be on their own. But the U.S. Navy, God bless them, at least they were briefing their own people, which is more than I can say for my branch, the Army or the Air Force. Now, intelligence officers in in all the services usually find out about these matters because they know each other. They're relatively small groups, and they will share information. non-disclosed agreements are, are, are not, you know, you'll do that with somebody that you work with to help them and save their families. But uh, you might ask where the water's going to come from, because I, I, the men I was debriefing, Richard, they were in the folding chairs. They weren't the scientists. They were told the water would come up. They weren't told why or how it would come up. It turns out that sea levels measured at Cornwall, England. It has been for several hundred years. And once you get to the equator, and for hundreds of miles north and hundreds of miles south of the equator, probably more than 1,000 miles north and south, you've got a bulge of water nearly 500 feet above that line on that rock in Cornwall, England, which means there's literally hundreds of thousands of cubic miles of water above what we call sea level measured at Cornwall, England, held in place by gravity and the rotation of the Earth. Anything that disrupts the rotation of the Earth more than one or two degrees will disrupt that water. And that's what's going to happen, Richard. The rotation of the Earth will be disrupted disrupted possibly 15 to 20 degrees. It's called a pole shift. The planet's gone through this many times in the past. It'll probably go through this again. And that's what's going to cause the violent, rapid rising ocean levels will be a slight pole shift. We're talking global flood, like Noah's flood, correct? Very, uh, hopefully not that bad. It could be that bad. Uh, if you go to mesas out in Arizona, you can find seashells on top of the mesas. Not fossils of, of seashells, the actual seashells, Richard. You know, they've been laying there exposed to all the elements, not for millions of years, but probably a few thousand years. Yes, this has happened again and, and is going to happen, uh, has happened in the past and will happen cyclical, again. You know, is yes, it, sir, it's cyclical in nature. Is it connected? And high technology, human, human-made high technology has existed in this planet, on this planet in the past. Is, is it, it connected to what, sir? Is it connected to uh, sunspot activity? This uh, geomagnetic reversal. Well, sunspot activity is a sec- sunspot activity is a secondary effect. That what's causing this, what will be causing this, is the tenth planet getting deeper into our solar system. I have a fascinating video at my website. The title of it is, Are We Alone in the Universe? 
There was a 10-minute interview there with the following individual, the supervising astronomer of the United States Naval Observatory, Dr. Robert Harrington, being interviewed in his office at the United States Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C., talking about the 10th planet as a matter of scientific fact, giving it size about three to five times the size of Earth. Its density has a far larger iron-nickel core in its orbit, which corresponds, by the way, with the orbit uh, that we have got down through the ages from the Babylonians, as as uh, interpreted by Zechariah Sitchin. So you're talking about Nibiru. Nibiru or Planet X? Nibiru, that's right. Planet X, Wormwood, Nibiru. Right, absolutely. uh, That's what's going to cause it. Now, why why then the global warming uh, cover story? Why do we need this? Well, half the jobs in the United States are provided by small business. It's not a matter of they don't want panic. It's a matter of they don't want small business owners, many of them are financially independent, who could lock their business up and take off for the Arkansas-Missouri Ozarks. Um, that would cause panic. It would shut down a sizable percentage of the U.S. economy. They don't want that. They want these business owners who are financially independent to keep going to work, paying their mortgages, and watching professional sports. That's what they want, because that kind of disruption would disrupt their plans. Martial law is something even the powers that be don't want, because it's just so incredibly disruptive to getting anything done. They want, they want business as usual to continue up to the very last moment. And so, uh, by creating this cover story, uh, for those that are noticing uh, something going on, what, if it's the ocean levels rising... Yeah, like they hurricanes a... over Oklahoma. We had, a hurri- we had a hurricane here in the Ozarks, April the 8th, last year, 2009, a Category 1 hurricane. That's not supposed to happen, Richard. No, we're getting... You're not supposed to have hurricanes uh, 500, 600 miles from the ocean, but we did. Is the earthquake activity? Look, the, they had, the earthquake activity the, well, in earthquake Chile, act, Chile, earthquake and activity is part of it. It is okay. Well, here's something that your listeners don't know. This Chile earthquake, for example, that happened a week ago Saturday. It was an 8.8 on the Richter scale. On the Richter scale, correct? Yes. Okay. And you heard about the one that happened what 40 years ago, which was a 9.5 on the Richter scale? Yes. Okay. Now, here's what's interesting. The Richter scale was developed by Charles F. Richter. He died in the mid-1980s. Shortly after his death, in about 1984-1985 time frame, the Richter scale was reduced by one full number value. On the original Richter scale, the 8.8 that happened a week ago Saturday would have been a 9.8. It shook the whole planet, Richard. It shook the whole planet and slightly changed the uh, axis of the planet. So they're comparing apples and oranges. In 1985, the powers that be knew what would be happening 25 years in the future. That's now. And they wanted to obfuscate and keep people in the dark as long as possible. It's a logarithmic scale. People are learning more about earthquakes. It's made so much news. When you go from an 8 to an 8.1, it's a 100% increase in the strength and the severity of the earthquake. When you go from an 8 to a 9, it's a 1,000% increase, tenfold increase in the, in the power and the severity and the damage of the earthquake. 
And a lot of people know this and are very aware of the Richter scale. Very few people are aware that the Richter scale was downgraded by one full number value 20 years ago. John Moore, broadcaster with the Republic Broadcast Network, and uh, he is also the producer of a, a, a new DVD entitled Global Warming, What the Government Isn't Telling You. And to summarize, he's saying that the whole global warming deception, man-made global warming, is a cover story uh, to distract us, I guess, from the real, even uglier truth. And that is, yes, the ocean levels are, uh, are going to, uh, to rise, uh, well, not essentially rise. There's enough water in the oceans already. They're being kept in place uh, through gravity and uh, the, the spinning of the Earth. Uh, but when planet X approaches the 10th tenth, the tenth planet, that's going to cause a, uh, some sort of a geomagnetic reversal. That will unleash this huge uh, body of water just uh, n- near the equator, essentially. Well, the and technical term is the technical term. Richard is slosh. <laughs> okay, slosh. All right. We call it it'll slosh. I mean, it's like it's like trying to walk across a room with a punch bowl full of uh, punch that's full to the brim. It's kind of slosh. These uh, oceans are going to slosh out of their basins, and uh, the east coast of the United States, for example, will take damage. Now, this is not John Moore's information. This is U.S. Navy classified information. US, the East Coast will take damage up to the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is typically 80 to 100 miles from the ocean. So That's, there's 75, 80 million people live in that area. Gone. From Washington, D.C. to Boston is basically one city. Go ahead. They'll, and they'll be gone. I mean, there's, no, there's not going to be a, 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 oh, a, yeah, a 30-day warning. This will happen in, the, in a matter of, what, hours? The one, the one, my one source, he's got uh, one Ph.D. and two masters from different universities. He paid real careful attention. He's been a, a valuable resource. He says it'll be a 30-day period of time uh, when these waters are doing what they do before they really come out of their basins. How much warning we'll have, I don't know. I mean, the, the government has some tremendous resources to be able to control information if they choose to. And I don't know how much warning we'll have, if any. All right, sit tight, John. We'll uh, continue to discuss on the other side. Something wicked This comes, comes this way. It's a wall of water. Unimaginable. Questions, comments, welcome at this time at 416-360-0740. And toll-free from Thunder Bay to the Carolinas, Maine to Minnesota, 1-866-740-4740, The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740. Or toll free in Ontario, 1 866 740 4740. The 10th planet, Planet X, Nibiru, headed this way. We don't have a date, but uh, we are now in that window. And uh, it's going to, um, as it passes by, let loose a uh, wall of water from the ocean. 
that will flood uh, miles inland in the, uh, in the continental United States, Canada, uh, possibly elsewhere around the world. We're talking a flood of biblical proportions. Uh, John Moore from the Republic Broadcast Network uh, is here, and he has learned this from his uh, confidential sources and uh, their knowledge of classified U.S. government documents. Government agencies are aware of this. They've shared this with uh, certain uh, personnel. The U.S. Navy have, has, has apparently shared this with uh, their service people. And uh, there are apparently safe havens. The, uh, the U.S. government has been very busy constructing uh, huge underground uh, bases, if you will, in order to uh, preserve uh, government operations to some degree. How many of these uh, bases, uh, John, uh, do you know about around the country? Oh, reports vary. Uh, typically, three dozen or so. Any idea and of their capacity? How many you, people? You, you know, lots of rabbit trails. Say again? How many people uh, uh, are they? People? Can they hold? Just rough estimates here, a couple hundred thousand. You know, they they have their technicians and intelligence services and military. Uh, their families, of course, are, are part of it. These these people wouldn't abandon their families. So you got uh, spouses and children, and I doubt there's any spaces for pets. Although some of the real elites may have spaces for their pets as well. So they they need the the, the cooks, the bakers, the candlestick makers. There's you know, lots of uh, people are are going to be part of this to make sure that they come out on the other side with their shiny new world order ready to run everything, at least in their opinion they will. I know people have access to, and by the way, the insiders call these shelters hotels. I know people have access to them who refuse to participate. They don't trust the engineering. Uh, anything like this is built with an engineering premise to withstand a certain Richter scale event. And anything that would exceed that engineering premise, of course, means uh, you're going to be trapped and, and die underground. Uh, so I know people who have access and, and just are going to do their own thing and, and not participate and, and go to these shelters, even though they could if they chose to. So these shelters will uh, will be then, according to the theory, what, hundreds of feet below water? Well, they have, they have uh, the kind of pumps that are used in uh, coal mines to pump water. Probably nuclear power, so they don't have to worry about that to keep the pumps going. <laughs> and uh, these tunneling machines, they, they basically turn the rock into a, a smooth glass surface as they move through the rock, uh, almost watertight in and of itself. The technology is pretty amazing, what they can do. Uh, it's kind of a rabbit trail, quite frankly, to dwell on that. Uh, we know the shelters exist. That's well known. Whether they're connected by tunnels a mile deep, I mean, so what? You know, that doesn't change us up here on the top side. We need to be concerned with what's coming at us and the time frame. The time frame is right now. And by the way, this Mayan calendar 2012 stuff is going to get a lot of people hurt, Richard. Uh, that's too far into the future. I don't believe we have that long, quite frankly. How are they keeping... We're going to see events in this... Go ahead. So, how are they keeping the keeping the approach of Planet X away from amateur uh, uh, astronomers? 
Well, there, you can't get on a plane and go to the Antarctic. There's no Holiday Inn and no American Airlines flights. The governments control everything that goes on down there, Richard. And that's where you need to be to see it. You have to be uh, in the Antarctic. So these giant... Full telescope. Okay. Yeah, well, it's, we have a round planet, and you, you can't see over the horizon. Um, so um, the South Pole Telescope was recently built. The Vatican has several professional-level-grade observatories, and they're, they're looking south you know, with the be- to the best of their ability. You know, the Pioneer 10 space probe went up in the 70s to locate this object and track it, and they've been tracking it ever since with every kind of imaging device that you can imagine in every light spectrum that there is, uh, infrared and so forth, as well as visible light. Uh, there's a quarter-million-mile-wide debris field that comes with this planet, and we'll probably take hits from some rocks. We have in the past, and we will again. John, there's uh, there have been some videos floating around. Uh, people can probably find them on YouTube. Uh, reportedly, uh, classified videos from NASA showing the approach of this uh, planet X. Uh, have you seen them? Right. Are, are these legitimate? Uh, have I, you seen I them? I have, and, and um, I have. Professor McKinney, who is a credentialed scientist in astrophysics, he he believes these to be uh, fraudulent, and I agree with him. Uh, anything that shows a red planet, for example, he says is fraudulent. Uh, it's very difficult to see this planet because of the dust cloud that it travels in, by the way. And it doesn't, the dust, the dust cloud blocks reflected light. So you have to have special imaging technology to be able to see it at all. Uh, and the first thing people do when they come across this topic, I did the same thing, is to want to run to the nearest uh, observatory and take a look at it. In fact, I attempted to do that. Uh, silly me. Uh, I gave up as, with that being a basically a tilting at windmills effort and focused more on what I could prove, which was debriefing the, the Navy veterans and finding all the circumstantial evidence, like the CIA moving to Denver, NSA moving to Denver, the Plum Island Animal Research Facility moving to Kansas, the EPA libraries being shut down and moved. They didn't say where, but they all they all were shut down the summer of 2008. The Vatican Library being shut down the summer of 2008. The largest collection of ancient manuscripts on the planet, by the way. All this circumstantial evidence, uh, including the seed vault, as in garden seed, tomato seed, yes. being built in eight months. In Norway. Can you imagine? This is on an island. You know, it's, it's not the mainland of Europe. It's, it's a... It's, it's, territory of Norway at the edge of the Arctic Circle on an island, building something that size, steel-reinforced concrete, in eight months. It's phenomenal. Tremendous resources being put in that, partly funded by Bill Gates, to save the, the seeds of the world. Because they have to now, not 40 years in the future. Uh, if you happen to see uh, Al Gore's film, they say 2050 is when the oceans are going to come up, 40 years in the future. We don't have 40 years. we got a year or two. Continuity of government contingency planning had to be finished, Richard, the 31st of December, 2009. They, still, they continue to work, and they will work up to the last moment. But the main part had to be done three months ago, December 31st, 2009. Originally, they gave themselves until December 31st, 2010. 
they found out they don't have that much time. The tenth planet is coming in. It's going to continue to get deeper into our solar system and have dramatic effects on our planet, even more so than we're seeing so far with seismic activity, volcanism, and truly bizarre, dangerous weather-related events. All right, John, uh, sit tight. We'll uh, get some uh, calls in here when we come back. John Moore, Republic Broadcast Network, talking about rising ocean levels, a flood of biblical proportion. The government, I'm guessing uh, the Canadian government is uh, handling this in a similar uh, manner. We can ask John about that, what he knows about that when we come back as well. They're not telling us. Nothing we can do about it. Uh, But if you're lucky enough to be tapped uh, to get a seat on the ark, as it were, you'll, uh, I guess you'll have to live out your life uh, underground. Uh, For the rest of us, one question. How long can you tread water? Back with more of The Conspiracy Show on AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. All right, we're going to the phones for broadcaster, researcher, John Moore. And uh, we'll begin in uh, Downs View here in Toronto and uh, say hello to Lewis. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hello. Hi there. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yes, okay. I live in uh, Downs View, north of Toronto. Yes. And uh, there is a underground command center uh, here. I moved here in 1984, and they were digging tunnels at that time, or before I moved here, and for several years afterwards, I was seeing the dirt piling up year after year. There's now uh, a shopping center there, so they stopped digging there. Okay, but so, yes, they were doing that here. Um, And I wanted to point out that... um, uh, Lake Ontario is 200 feet above sea level. Um, University of Toronto campus is 300 feet, so it's possible that it's 400 feet here. But uh, that means that uh, lake, on, you know, the lakes aren't going to go all. Water's not going to flow all the way up to um, Hudson's Bay, like John was saying earlier. Um, the other statement I wanted to make. Um, Okay, and I just want to mention I'm not uh, a physicist, but I have an electronics background, and I'm pretty sure that um, magnetism doesn't have any relationship with gravity. Uh, The Earth's magnetism and the gravity of the Earth are two totally separate phenomena. And I'd like to know how, um, where John got his um, information about um, the shift of the... uh, Earth's gravity having something to do with, um, sorry, the shift in the magnetism having something to do with gravity. All right, Lewis, good questions all. Uh, John, did you want to respond? Sure. And I may have misspoke myself and uh, put magnetism as a synonym of gravity, which, of course, it's not. And I apologize for that. Um, the, the gravitational influence of the tenth planet is what's going to be causing many of these problems. Uh, the magnetic uh, field of this of this planet, of course, is being uh, the electromagnetic field in, in space is being affected also, and that's being uh, degraded uh, because of what's going on in space. So uh, I, I do apologize if I did um, 
uh, confuse those terms. And um, the gravitational effect of the tenth planet is what's going to be causing much of what what we'll be experiencing, not uh, magnetic energy. Now that's that's you're absolutely right there, Colin. Okay, Lewis mentioned uh, Downsview uh, and the uh, the base up uh, there. Now I don't know if you know what's going on up here in Canada. Can we? Uh, extrapolate or infer that uh, this this is being handled the same way up here. They're building uh, underground bases for a continuity of government uh, type scenario. Well, of course, any it's it's the nature of any large organization to take care of their own people. Uh, Walmart's doing it. The Vatican's doing it. All the Walmart is doing. Oh, we've lost John Moore. Uh, Dan will uh, try and establish uh, a contact. We'll work Wendy and Scarborough in here in just a moment, just as soon as we get uh, John Moore uh, back on the program. The uh, the connection's been a little shaky, actually, I think, from uh, the beginning. You may have noticed the slight uh, delay. In any event, uh, just um, while we get to John Moore back on the air, we will get uh, Dr. Bob Curran from Belfast on uh, just a little bit later, probably around 12.15. He'll be here to discuss uh, werewolves and lycanthropes, but... Uh, uh, the the topic at hand, obviously, of great importance. What could be more important uh, than the possibility of a um, a flood of biblical proportions and the government not uh, telling us about it? The approach of the 10th planet Nibiru is the culprit, uh, so says John Moore. Uh, so uh, Dr. Bob Curran will join us at 12.15, uh, and we'll probably get to open lines uh, maybe around uh, tw- uh, 20 to 1. 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, and toll-free from out of town, one 740 John Moore has uh, returned. Uh, John, the... Um, uh, you were you were saying about uh, about, about the uh, the Canadian situation, and then you mentioned uh, uh, Walmart is 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 aware of this. And one, of, one of my fellow co- uh, talk show host, uh, Frank Whalen. He lives in uh, northwest Arkansas, not far from Walmart headquarters, and he's had plain brown envelopes with, with no return address mailed to him with the blueprints of the shelters built for Walmart's top people in Bentonville, Arkansas. Um, there's a, I don't know if they have branches in uh, Canada. There's a nationwide a uh, building supplies house outfit called Lowe's. Yes, uh, we do. Y- yes, we have it up here. Okay. A friend of mine, he's a mid-level executive with Lowe's. He was at a briefing a spring, late spring of uh, 09, and they told him the following. Now, keep in mind, when, before I tell you this, Richard, um, probably 65 70% of all the people in the United States live within 100 miles of either the East Coast, the West Coast, or the Gulf Coast. At this briefing, he was told that no new stores would be built in those areas, none whatsoever. And all existing stores in those areas would get no major upgrades, routine maintenance only. Now, he, the, my friend knows what you and I are talking about here, and he, he was kind of smiling to himself because he knew the reason why. Now, that's where most of the people are. That's where you're going to make your money selling building supplies to where the people are living, but they're building no new stores and doing no major upgrades to those stores. I found that to be very insightful. Uh, NASA, never a straight answer, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. We just found this out about two months ago. The summer of 07, 
they granted an outside vendor, a, a branch of Prudential, a $74 million contract going from September 07 to September 09 to relocate NASA employees. Now, I think, Richard, you and I could move a lot of people for $74 million. Mm, indeed. But look indeed. at where they are, you know. The Kennedy Space Center in Florida, right. Huntsville, Alabama, which, according to the Navy map, will be at the edge of the ocean when the water comes up. Uh, Houston, Texas, not that far from the Gulf of Mexico. Now, we've, we're doing a FOIA request. Or one of my researchers I'm working with is doing a Freedom of Information Act request uh, to NASA. We got past the first hurdle. That they've done. NASA has done their redaction, which is called uh, a synonym for censorship. Now Prudential is doing their redaction, and it may be another four to six weeks before we get whatever's left over, which might just be a bunch of verbs. Mm. <laughs> by, the time, by the time they get done censoring with their, their black uh, felt-tip marker. Um, so, but it's a fascinating thing to see the money being spent to relocate uh, NASA employees, CIA employees, NSA employees, Plum Island Animal Research Facility, it's just a long list of what we call circumstantial evidence that they're moving their people, and they're moving them now. All right. Wendy, they have no choice. Wendy's in Scarborough. Wendy, you're on The Conspiracy Show on AM 740. Say hello to John Moore. Yes, hello, John. Um, Hi, I just want to ask a concerned question, wondering when you're seeing about the flooding that's going to be taking place, like rather in, say, like the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean, what are the chances of the Arctic Ocean area, you know, like, say, up and around Ellesmere Island and stuff, you know? Right, That's right. taking place well, the, where the glaciers and all that are. Right, Wendy. All these oceans are at risk of coming out of their basins, including the Arctic Ocean, every ocean, the Indian Ocean. They're all at risk of coming out of their basins and causing great damage and flooding. And that's why the Navy's moving to high, everybody's moving to high ground. All right, Wendy, uh, thank you for the call. Elona is in New Jersey tonight. Elona, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi. Hi, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yes, um, I have more of a comment than a question, and I'd like to you know, see what you think about it. I'm coming from a Christian standpoint. Now, we, we've been flooded out, of course, by, by the Noah's flood, and God gave us a promise through the um, rainbow that he would never flood us out completely again. He said the next time that he would come back, he would burn us out. And I'm being, you know, pretty vivid about this, but I'm just wondering, you know, about how you feel about this. I mean, do you believe what Scripture says, or are you just going to go with the scientific viewpoint and just, you know, look at scientific evidence, or really, you, you see where I'm coming from? I understand what you're saying. Yeah. The um, Noah's Flood, which happened approximately 7,200 years ago, mm -hmm. would have been two cycles. This, these cycles come in 3,600-year in, in, intervals. The one that happened 3,600 years ago, which would have been Moses' exodus out of Egypt, wasn't nearly as bad. There was flooding, but uh, the closer you are to the equator, uh, probably the less effect you have. And, of course, Egypt is uh, fairly close to the equator compared to many other parts of the world. Uh, this cycle, it's hard to say. There will be flooding. It won't. Uh, hopefully it won't be on the, on the level of Noah's flood, which, by the way, 500 cultures... You know, not just the Hebrew Bible, which we have as our Bible. Five hundred cultures have written and 
records and oral traditions of the same flood at the same time. In other words, uh, and thank you for the call, Ilona, in New Jersey. In other words, these uh, catastrophic events, uh, floods, uh, coincide with uh, the uh, with uh, Nibiru's orbit or Planet X's orbit, Correct. which it's is a, it's a cyclical thing on a thirty six hundred year timetable, right? All right, exactly. Um, now, because we're up here in Canada, my Canadian listeners uh, will 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 be interested to know. Can you give us some sense of what Canada is going to look like after the uh, the uh, oceans empty their basins? Well, if you got Google Earth, you can go around the coast, the east coast and the west coast of Canada, um, and Google Earth will give you a readout in real time uh, of where 400 feet above sea level is. You can make your own map and see where where the damage is going to occur, according to the U.S. Navy. Now, I don't know if the Canadian Navy agrees or not. I don't have access to that. But the U.S. Navy says 400 feet and, and lower is at risk of being flooded out. Now, that's not a biblical flood. That's not a Noah-type flood where we got uh, seashells on top of mesas in Arizona. But it's enough to cause massive uh, loss of life and loss of property. Where are the other safe havens, uh, John? You mentioned uh, the Ozarks. Where else? Um, I don't agree with this, but the Navy says there's a chunk of real estate uh, at the uh, Wyoming-Montana border region where those two states come together. It's way too close to Yellowstone to suit me. And those are the only two I'm really aware of, Richard. And uh, Most likely there are. I know the Russians, for example, and this confused us for a while, uh, in the Ural Mountains, which is pretty much in the middle of the continent, they started building massive underground shelters in the late 80s, uh, we were aware of late 80s to early 90s, at the end of the Cold War, which didn't make any sense to us because we, we weren't aware of the 10th planet at the time. You mentioned Yellowstone, John. Obviously, you're referring to the supervolcano underneath Absolutely. Yellowstone. So so Planet X is going to also cause uh, a, a, a huge uh, volcanic activity. We're, seeing, we're already seeing dramatic increases in both volcanism and seismic activity already. Most volcanoes are under the oceans, by the way. Yes. Now, uh, the um, I've had uh, various uh, experts on the program over the years that, that track the um, the Bilderberg meetings, right. and I'm wondering something like this must have been discussed behind closed doors at a, at, at these uh, yearly gatherings of the world's uh, industrialists and, and uh, you had, elites. You had Tucker on there. Tucker always gets in there somehow. He I've, puts on a, a funny face or something. I've had uh, Daniel Estulin on the show many times and and, uh, and Jim Mars. And, uh, I mean, have you have any of any of these Bilderberg... Well, of course. Here's the deal, Richard. Every United States senator knows about what you and I are talking about. Some of the congressmen, the U.S. reps, not necessarily all of them because they're that, you know, they're looked at as temporary hired help for the most part with those two-year cycles. But if they've been there probably 10 or more cycles, they, they know what the U.S. senators know. Uh, a lot of chiefs of police know, a lot of fire chiefs, the, m- many if not most U.S. governors know. Uh, and, of course, these Navy submarine veterans, and there's thousands of them, many of whom live down here where I live in the Arkansas, Missouri, Ozarks. I was on, you may have heard of the Prophecy Club, Richard. Yes. Okay, I did a nationwide speaking tour, many U.S. cities, and my Detroit stop, uh, I had a man, he walked up, introduced himself on one of my 15-minute breaks. He says, John, I'm in the insurance industry. 
we've wondered for years, why are there so many thousands of retired Navy people in the zip codes of the Arkansas-Missouri Ozarks? And he said, now I know. Ah, there's uh, connecting the dots for you. Absolutely. John, how can uh, people get a copy of uh, your DVD, Global Warming? Well, in two ways. My website is thelibertyman.com. Don't forget to put the V, Tango Hotel Echo, thelibertyman.com. And I have a toll-free number, uh, 24-7, to order it, uh, Global Warming, what the government isn't telling you. The toll-free number is 800-592-9543. I say again, 800-592-9543. John, very quickly, uh, before we say goodnight, obviously there aren't uh, enough uh, safe havens, I'm guessing, around uh, the country uh, to house 330-plus well, million people. What do you think people. all those camps are being built for, Richard? <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing they're going to be underwater. Not necessarily. No? The FEMA camps, not necessarily. Ah, well, uh, so they're they They're being do. built because they need them. It's not necessarily some grand conspiracy. They're being built because they're going to need them. So they don't. <laughs> People they, are going to have to go someplace. They don't necessarily want everyone to drown. Uh, they just don't want anyone to cut into their uh, into their action, right? And take up their valuable space or their valuable resources. So all this, uh, these these debates about health care and all this, this, this is just a sideshow. They're just it's, it's they're just silliness. Yeah, they're just spending. They're just trying to to go through right. the motions here. It's just silliness. Is all that is, and they know it. Listen, John, we, uh, we'll have to have you uh, on the program again uh, I'd be glad to, Richard. We'll soon. set that up. I'd be glad to. All right. John Moore, thelibertyman.com, the website. Again, uh, to order the DVD, 1-800-592-9543. 1-800-592-9543. All right. Wow, that's uh, pretty Thank dire. You, sir. Have a great evening. You too, sir. Pretty dire indeed. Is it possible to lighten the mood with a discussion of werewolves and lycanthropes well we'll reach out to belfast and do our best as i go scrambling for my water wings the owners of the system are asleep now we can play the conspiracy show with richard serrett from zoomer radio am 740 we deal in illusions man none of it is true but you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of Satan time speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. We will get to open lines a little later than anticipated. We've had to uh, push things back a little bit. Uh, Such was the uh, compelling nature of my interview with uh, John Moore, 
from the Republic Broadcasting Network, warning of a uh, worldwide flood uh, coming at us sometime very soon, courtesy of Planet X. Uh, you can't just give that sort of discuss- discussion a short shrift. So uh, here we are, uh, a quarter past the hour, 12.15 Eastern Standard. Now we shift gears, and uh, I, don't, I don't know if we can lighten things up at this point, but we can certainly, I suppose, um, head off in a, madly in another direction. And um, we're going to do just that. Most of us, uh, I think, are familiar with the idea of a werewolf. That's uh, someone who can change either deliberately or unwillingly into a ravenous uh, creature. Uh, But the question is, is there some justification for such a belief? And if so, how is it achieved? Uh, Through magical potions or ointments or simply by the light of the full moon? Or is this whole thing simply a form of delusion, the product of a disturbed mind? Over the next uh, 20 minutes or so, we're going to examine the deep psychological roots that underlie this profane linking of human and beast, the werewolf. Do the roots of such a belief lie in the supernatural world, or are there other explanations? How has the discovery, for example, of feral children shaped our ideas of human beasts? And what is the future of such beliefs? Dr. Bob Curran is the author of Werewolves, a field guide to shapeshifters, lycanthropes, and man-beasts. He was born and raised in a remote area of County Down, Northern Ireland, and he's held a variety of jobs, including gravedigger, Lori Driver, professional musician, journalist, teacher, lecturer. His rural background has given him an interest in folklore and mythology, and he has written extensively on these subjects in both books and journals. His books include Vampires, an Encyclopedia of the Undead, and an Encyclopedia of Celtic Mythology, Bloody Irish, Walking with the Green Man, and many others. He's also an historian, lectures extensively on culture and history, And in this capacity, he sits on a number of cultural advisory bodies in Ireland, both north and south, and he's produced several academic papers on various topics of cultural interest. He currently lives in the north of Ireland with his wife and young family. Dr. Bob Curran, welcome to The Conspiracy Show on AM740. How are you? How are you, Richard? You're making me sound very interesting. (laughs) I uh, I don't need to do anything, Bob. You are interesting. My word, you wear a lot of hats. Uh, and how does such a, a, a busy, learned man decide to sit down and uh, devote uh, an entire tome to, to werewolves? Well, Richard, it seemed a natural progression. Some of the books you, you have listed look at vampires uh, and um, things like that. And it seemed to me that um, the question, people keep asking me, E.C. Richard, do such creatures exist? And I say, I don't know. They may or they may not. But what is a much more interesting question is why would people want to believe, uh, sorry, believe in such things? Uh, what sort of basic need does a belief in werewolves, whether or not they exist, uh, fulfill in our lives or in our society? Uh, and why would we want to believe in them? Uh, the werewolf, uh, or the motive of the werewolf, has remained with us away down uh, in many centuries. And I think one of the biggest films of the moment is the wolf 
Kaufman. So it's very much alive at the moment. So the purpose of the book was to explore uh, the belief and why people needed to believe in them at the time. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm fascinated by the uh, your initial comment. It sounds like you're you're leaving the door open to the possibility uh, that uh, that werewolves might actually exist. Or was I reading too much into that? You said they might, they might not. Once again, Richard, it depends what you mean by a werewolf. Uh, you're speaking about the man who changes into a wolf. Now, what sort of a wolf does he change into? Does he change into a common wolf, as it appeared in the old medieval texts, that they change completely into a wolf? Or does he uh, appear as a creature, humanoid, covered in fur, and uh, as you see in, let's say, the old Lon Chaney films, and uh, indeed in the modern films? Or is the notion of a werewolf uh, covering a number of other areas? For instance, um, in one of the, uh, the chapters of the book, I discuss, um, was it actually cannibalism? Because I suspect that cannibalism in, let's say, the Middle Ages uh, was much more common than we suspect Um Particularly in Western Europe, um, and in North America, and in North America, it's and it's in North America. It's indeed. archaeology's dirty little secret, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, it, it it is indeed, and we, we uh, in areas in which uh, the winters were very harsh, villages were cut off, uh, and I suspect that uh, whenever old people died, they sometimes finished up in the common stockpot. So we're we're looking. Does that cover? Because some of the French werewolf trials, uh, I suspect, were people who were what I call peripheral people, people on the very edges of society, and uh, things like that. So uh, who maybe behaved oddly, um, who perhaps ate people. Uh, in some cases. Um, those who have been um, tried uh, confess to eating small children or uh, defenseless women. So uh, we ask ourselves, what do we mean by a werewolf? Uh, Is it a a wolf? Uh, Is it a creature covered in fur? Uh, Is it simply a uh, a person with societal or mental problems, as you said yourself? Um, and how does it fit into society? Is the notion of the werewolf a way of dealing with that in society? Uh, and then, of course, we have uh, supposed sightings, eyewitness sightings of actual werewolves or man-wolf-type beasts, people like Nick Redfern, uh, mm-hmm. who's written about it, uh, traipsing across uh, England and, and speaking to some pretty credible witnesses, uh, uh, people who talk about uh, these wolf-man-type creatures walking on on, uh, on uh, hind legs. We have Linda Godfrey, uh, the Beast of Bray Road in Wisconsin, eyewitness accounts of what appear to be werewolves or some wolf-man-type beasts uh, uh, along a lonely stretch of highway. What do you make of those uh, th- th- those accounts? Uh, Absolutely, Richard. Uh, and these fall into a category. The, the werewolf category is a sort of um, compartmentalization, which we put 
things in that we can't really explain. Now, I said uh, at the top of the interview, I said uh, and they may or may not. Uh, I suspect there are things still out there which, for all our great culture and civilization, we don't know an awful lot about. We like to think we do, but we don't. So there are things um, living out there which I suspect that we can't really categorize. So we put them into the, the category of werewolves. Uh, perhaps uh, nature uh, and evolution, if you believe in evolution, has taken uh, a number of twists. And there are creatures living out there which... Uh, we haven't quite categorized yet. So we bung them into the section which we we name as werewolves. So there may be hairy, uh, exceptionally hairy uh, humanoids. Now we do know that uh, there were hairy humanoids way back, and perhaps some of them uh, live on. Um, nature has taken a whole number of twists. We know that we were not, for example, the only human species who lived on Earth. There were Neanderthals. Uh, there were um, smaller people who lived in the Far East uh, who were almost like pygmy. Uh, and we know that because we have unearthed their bones. So uh, there, are, I'm not discounting anything, Richard. Uh, there are things out there which we conveniently label as werewolves, and um, uh, these uh, are still waiting to be categorized. So we, we're we putting these into the werewolf category, and that's why I say it depends what you mean. Now, I happen to be married to a, uh, uh, a woman of uh, Greek descent, and she's mm-hmm. always quick to point out whenever I do a, a program uh, like this on werewolves, she'll you know remind me that uh, lycanthropy comes from the Greeks. It's a Greek word. Mm-hmm. So obviously, uh, this this legend is. Uh, I mean, the, the the ancient Greeks, the Romans, uh, the Celts, uh, North American Indians, something that is so widespread. I I, I was just we talking about the Noah's flood earlier, and some five hundred uh, civilizations have written uh, about uh, the global flood. So whenever you have this amount of of, of people talking about it, there must be a kernel of truth there, don't you think? There is, Richard, but that takes us right the way back. People say to me, how long, can, how far can you trace werewolves back? And I say, we're looking actually into the mists of prehistory. Uh, we're looking at a time uh, before, almost before we were even what we might term human. Now, back in that time, um, men competed, or the proto-men competed with uh, wolves uh, for food, Uh, particularly uh, at the time when the winters were harsh and when the game was scarce. Now, our ancestors, uh, great lumbering hominids, looked at the wolf because the wolf is the supreme killing machine, a hunting and killing machine. It is fast, it is strong, it is intelligent, and uh, probably had a great deal better success than some of our uh, great ancestors. So our ancestors looked at this and said, 
wouldn't be great if we were like that. And they began to suggest to themselves that if they dressed up in wolf skins, uh, maybe some of the attributes of the wolf would pass on to them. And we know that because we have uh, very, very early cave art. The oldest uh, cave art is uh, found in a cave under the Pyrenees in France. And that is uh, a drawing of a creature which is half wolf, half human, and is probably a shaman or a medicine man dressed up uh, in wolf skins or uh, um, trying to be a wolf because he's almost on all fours. This is the Sorciere de Trois Frères, which is found, uh, as I say, in a cave uh, under the Pyrenees. All right, Dr. Bob Curran, uh, stay with us. We'll come back and continue to discuss werewolves, a field guide to shapeshifters, lycanthropes, and man-beasts. The Conspiracy Show. I'm Richard Serrett. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Dr. Bob Curran is with us talking werewolves. Of course, uh, The Wolfman, a remake of the 1941 classic, is, uh, I believe, still available to uh, moviegoers. And... um, Werewolves, of course, uh, always a, a box office uh, a draw. Every uh, it's, they, they go in cycles, like the moon, I suppose. But vampires uh, continue uh, to be uh, a subject of fascination. And if it's not John Carpenter making a film, or there's a uh, you know the romanticizing of the vampire lifestyle all over television, I understand the allure of, of vampires because there is uh, sort of a, a sexual component uh, to that, and the whole idea of uh, you know. Uh, um, immortality and, and so forth, uh, Bob. Uh, werewolves, though, what's... Uh, I'm not quite sure I get the, uh, the the continued fascination with the werewolf, especially because, you know, we're, we're so disconnected now from 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 nature and, uh, the, you know, uh, wolves uh, just are not top of mind for, for most people uh, living in an urban setting. Yes, Richard, but... Deep within us, uh, and the best way I can put it is that deep within us, we have a beast crouching. Because just before the advert, we spoke about the ancient hunters. There are still there is still a fragment, I think, of the ancient hunters somewhere deep within us. And um, there certainly is, uh, I feel, some sort of, of beast. This comes out whenever, uh, and I've seen people lose their temper and been very, very angry. And um, perhaps that is a, is a sort of echo of the beast which we once were. So the fascination that there is a beast within us um, still maintains our, our, our uh, interest in the werewolf. It both fascinates and repels us because we consider ourselves now very cultured and very civilized and we have all the structures around us which, as you quite rightly say, differentiates us from nature. But I think somewhere deep within us there is still that um, very early hunter that I was speaking about, that that there's still a portion of uh, the creature from which we have evolved. And from time to time, that will manifest itself. Now, it may not manifest itself in overt uh, action. It may... uh, manifest itself 
and our interest and fascination with uh, with something like the werewolf, and which we externalize that uh, portion of ourselves which both repels but at the same time uh, fascinates us uh, very much. So the werewolf remains that character which lies outside ourselves, which is actually a reflection, I think, of something very deep within ourselves. Is there an actual mental condition known as lycanthropy? There is indeed. And um, very early uh, in uh, our history, uh, in the history of uh, mental uh, exploration, uh, as far back as uh, the early 1500s, uh, a German doctor called Johannes Wehr began to explore how uh, the conditions, uh, particularly in some of the werewolf trials in, uh, in, fifth, in sorry, in 16th century France, uh, at the end of the 1500s, coming into the 1600s, how some of the trials then were influenced by people's mental condition and by people's social conditions, because many of uh, the people who were brought for trial. Uh, under the werewolf uh, in France, there was a, a spate of werewolf trials around the end of the 1500s and 1600s in France, and that reflected society. It reflected the people's conditions because the times were very unsettled, the pay, uh, and those who were brought forward were very, very poor uh, from from the very fringes of society. So there began to look at how uh, the mental condition began to affect. Uh, these people and said maybe it's not where uh, maybe they don't turn into beasts maybe they think they turn into beasts um, and people uh, like uh, Charcot uh, the, uh, one of the French psychologists uh, in the 1700s 1800s began to uh, explore this as a, a, um, a phenomenon and the, wor- uh, the word um, lunatic, uh, which began to refer to people who were um, experiencing mental difficulties, comes from the French la lune, which was supposed to um, influence behavior and was also supposed to turn people, uh, it is said, into these ravening beasts. So you're you're getting a, a, a direct connection between mental stability and werewolfry. Dr. Bob Curran on the line from uh, Northern Ireland, the author of Vampires, a field guide to the creatures that stalk the night. Uh, he's also co-authored books about zombies and uh, lost lands, forgotten realms with uh, uh, co-author Ian Daniels. And his latest, of course, is a field guide to werewolves lycanthropes, and shapeshifters. Now, you mentioned earlier that if you cast the, uh, the, the net wide enough in terms of you know, what one means by the term werewolf, that could also encompass a very fascinating uh, uh, phenomenon known as uh, feral children. There have actually, true or false, there have actually been authenticated cases of, of children who were orphaned and went on to be raised by actual wolves. There were indeed, uh, and some of these go back uh, to the 1700s. Um, you have the, uh, the wild boy of Avignon, um, uh, which was at the, the end of the 1700s. 
in which a, a, a boy was found wandering in the woods um, and brought in and, uh, and uh, was studied. Uh, he exhibited all the attributes of a wild dog, uh, and there were there were still wolves living in the forest at that time. And but at the same time, in a number on a number of occasions, he also uh, showed great human behaviour. It was thought that he had been abandoned by his parents or by his mother, and had been raised by wild animals. Now. Uh, this illustrates what I was saying because some of the behaviour that he uh, exhibited was—I uh, mean, he, he, he ate scraps and uh, just like a dog, and ate from the floor. But um, whenever uh, the uh, housekeeper in the house that he was be- being kept at uh, for observation, uh, her husband had died. And uh, she was greatly distraught, and he uh, exhibited um, uh, human behaviour. He came and uh, put his hand uh, up to the side of her face and whenever she was crying and uh, brushed away tears. So you're getting the sort of dichotomy between the feral uh, animal behaviour and the human, uh, the human being. Once again, you have exactly the same uh, in the 1920s where you, uh, in India, where two girls, uh, Camilla and Amala, uh, were uh, discovered living, uh, well, they were discovered by a, a local uh, clergyman, uh, the Reverend Lal Singh, and uh, appear, uh, were photographed and, uh, as feral children. They had been raised by, uh, they think, wolves or wild dogs, once again, in uh, the wild. And um, there are some disputes about just how feral they, uh, uh, they may have been, but they seem to exhibit uh, a whole plethora of behavior, which was uh, uh, con- uh, consistent with being raised by dogs. For instance, they growled. Uh, they ate from bowls um, on the ground, uh, and when they wished to uh, to clean themselves after defecation, they dragged their posteriors along the ground in the same way that a dog would. Now I've done that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not going into your personal habits, Richard. <laughs> I wonder, Doctor Bob, how much of this uh, this fascination uh, uh, with uh, with zombies and vampires and now werewolves uh, it comes from your uh, your stint as a grave digger? Oh, uh, well, one of the most frightening stories uh, which terrified me, Richard, and I suppose has set me down this course is that we had a, a system here in Northern Ireland, I don't know whether you have it in Canada, called breaking graves. And that means that uh, if there's been no burial in a grave uh, site for over 100 years and there's no um, uh, record, these can be opened and used for fresh burials. So uh, some people won't do that. I did it uh, as a young guy. And we brought up a coffin lids. And the inside of, of one of the coffin lids was torn away, and whoever had been buried there had been buried alive. 
and had come uh, uh, sort of back to consciousness and found themselves in the grave and had tried to get out of the coffin. And that, for me, that was terrifying. Mm. So I suppose it sent me down that road. Well, that, 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 that turns out to be far more common than, than we, I guess, ever realized or, or would care to realize. Uh, the idea of people being buried alive, uh, uh, and this was, of course, you know, long before uh, embalming techniques and so forth. And, and this, I understand, uh, Bob, gave rise to the term uh, dead ringers because they started then um, certain people, it was their greatest fear was to be buried alive. They would tie a, a string to their finger, I guess, under, and then it would come up through the ground, through a pipe in the ground, and be attached to a bell. And if someone was actually buried alive and they came to, they could, they could wiggle their finger, ring this bell, and there would be people in the cemetery uh, who were sitting around listening for that bell to ring, and that was known as the graveyard shift. Absolutely, Richard. Uh, in fact, I was in a house not so long ago, which had a, a family vault, and uh, they had exactly that because the bell rang in the the uh, drawing room uh, of of this house. It also gives rise, and you quite rightly say a dead ringer, but it also gives rise, I am told, to uh, the phrase "saved by the bell." Ah, yes, interesting. So. Uh, that was more common than you would think. People uh, went into swoons and cataleptic trances and things like that and were pronounced dead because their pulse rate was so low. In fact, I shouldn't tell you this, Richard, but I have been in a modern hospital which has been at a um, critical point you know, with um, numbers of patients. Doctors come in, check your pulse and say... Um, he seems dead, write the certificate, and that is you dead, Richard. And My that Lord. is not done so long ago. Well, every year there are a couple of cases of people basically waking up on the slab in the morgue with a toe tag, and uh, they come to and start walking down the corridor. <laughs> Listen, Dr. Bob Curran, it's always a delight. Very quickly, what are you working on next? Uh, the next uh, book, uh, there will be a book on dark fairies, but the new book which I'm working on at the moment is man-made monsters and we're looking at Frankenstein. Ah, well, it's a date then. Let's, uh, when that uh, comes out... We do that. No problem, Richard. But in the meantime, uh, people have uh, at their disposal a field guide to werewolves, lycanthropes, and shapeshifters. Dr. Bob Curran, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, Richard. All right. Back to bed. It's uh, a quarter to six over there in uh, the north of Ireland. All right, open lines now to the top of the hour. 1-866-740-4740. 1-866-740-4740. Here in Toronto, 416-360-0740. Spine-dingling tales or anything of a conspiratorial nature. Now to the top of the hour. Back with more. Stay with us. We elect officials so we can sleep at night. 
So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Interested in learning how to produce, write, and host in the talk radio and talk TV industry? Well, if you are, then uh, I'm conducting a 39-hour, 13-week course, and we have new classes beginning in April at the Toronto Media and Film College. And that uh, begins Thursday, April the 8th. The deadline to register is Friday, April the 2nd. If you are interested, then you can go to my website, richardserrett.com. Richard Serrett, S as in Simon, T, all one word, richardserrett.com. And on the right-hand side, you'll see a talk radio banner. Just click on that for more details. All right. Uh, now to the top of the hour, as I said, uh, uh, open lines, and if you want to uh, share a spine-tingling tale, something that's happened to you of a paranormal, supernatural uh, nature, you've seen a UFO, a Bigfoot, uh, a sea monster, would love to hear from you. Perhaps you've seen a werewolf out in the moors. Uh, and uh, if you'd like to discuss anything you've heard on the program thus far, either tonight or uh, in past weeks. Now, coming up next week on the show, that is Sunday, March the 14th, the Return of Eliza Presley. My very first show out of the blocks here at uh, AM 740 back on August the 16th was with this young woman. She was my first uh, interview, I believe. She uh, has DNA evidence uh, to prove, she says, she is the stepsister of Elvis Presley. Her father was Vernon Presley. In fact, she grew up uh, across the street from Graceland and uh, discovered later in life that her mother had a dalliance with uh, Vernon. Uh, but it go- goes much deeper than that. Uh, her forensic team have also DNA evidence, she contends, and this can be proven in court and will be at some point, that a man living under the name Jesse Garen Presley is, in fact, Elvis Presley. Uh, and uh, as I say, she has the DNA evidence to prove it, or rather her, her forensic team does, and she will be joined, Eliza Presley, that is, will be joined by a member of this forensic team. That's Sunday, March the 14th. That's in the first hour. Second hour of the show, uh, Victor Vigiani from the uh, uh, group, the UFO Disclosure Group, Exopolitics Canada, will be here along with Dr. Michael Sala, uh, and we'll discuss... Of course, the uh, the 60-plus year truth embargo about the ET presence here on Earth. All right, let's uh, say hello. Oh, look who it is dropping by. Always a delight. Mr. Vlad Eisengrim has darkened our doorway, so to speak, via the telephone. Hello, Vlad. And a good evening to you, my friend. All right, now listen, I know you're, you're um, uh, dabbling. Uh, no, I wouldn't say dabbling. The, the paranormal is your vocation. Uh, you've got a spine tingler for us, do you? Well, and strangely enough, uh, we were performing the Paranormal Show last week at the Heliconian Hall, which is a, a great big old uh, church that has been uh, transformed into a, a music hall. Yes. And uh, I end my show with a seance normally. And uh, on the stage, I have a, uh, a Victorian table. Now, what happened was uh, last week, uh, I usually bring up a few people from the audience, and we, uh, we basically uh, place our hands on the table, and we hope that something will happen. And normally something rather strange does because of the fact that we're in places that are haunted. But that night, uh, the table went completely out of control, flew out of our hands, and broke into about... 
10 pieces. Oh my. It was terrible. And uh, I, yeah, I've, I've got to uh, I've got to go looking uh, for an antique uh, table for the upcoming shows. Well, we should point out, yes, Vlad, I, Vlad Eisengrim is, uh, uh, well, aside from running Canada's last uh, and uh, I believe oldest traveling circus sideshow, the Carnival Diablo World of Wonders, he also is the uh, the man behind a, a spectacular um, evening's worth of uh, entertainment called the Paranormal Show, and. Uh, there you will uh, you'll witness a, a seance and uh, some um, some tremendous uh, uh, paranormal feats. Uh, it's the website is theparanormalshow.net, and uh, there you'll learn about the show. You'll also read some some uh, great reviews and upcoming dates. You mentioned the Haliconian Theater in Yorkville on yes. Hazelton Lanes, uh, but you are uh, coming up. To um, this some new Thursday, shows at the uh, the at the uh, the paper mill. Yes, we are going to be at the paper mill at Todd Morden Mills, and uh, that's at 67 Pottery Road. And uh, we're playing six shows there starting March 11th. We're doing the 12th, then the 13th, and then we're doing March 18th, 19th, and 20th. And uh, this is a beautiful old theater that um, has been refurbished. And again, this place is haunted. And we are going to attempt to, uh, well, make contact during the course of the evening. And uh, there will be uh, uh, telekinesis, which is the movement of objects with the mind, retrocognition, where during the course of the evening, I'm going to try and solve the crimes of Jack the Ripper. Uh, And finally, uh, there will be a bit of mind reading. And I'm one of the only performers in history to place a whole audience under mass hypnosis. So everybody will go under and do one thing that they will not forget, but it will not be embarrassing. <laughs> uh, again, Vlad Eisengrim, The Paranormal Show, and again, uh, uh, new shows coming up at the uh, uh, paper mill, Todd Morden Mills, that's 67 Pottery Road here in Toronto. And uh, if you're uh, from out of town, it's certainly worth the trip up. There's nothing like this anywhere. The Paranormal Show, that's March 11th, 12th, and 13th, 18th, 19th, and 20th, again, that's 67 Pottery Road in Toronto at uh, Todd Morden Mills, 67 Pottery Road. That's the paper mill. And uh, all of your locations, and this, this uh, the paranormal show moves around from town to town, uh, you always choose haunted locations. Yes, it doesn't always uh, end up being theaters. Sometimes they're large churches. Sometimes they're uh, they're actual social clubs that are like over 100 years old. But we uh, we actually source out which places in this country are haunted, and we try and play our show at these places and make contact with the spirits. And these spirits then become a part of the show. Absolutely. They are the stars of the show. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I, um, I'm going to uh, finally, uh, uh, Vlad, make it out to a show. I'm going I'm to come see it on uh, March the 12th. That's Friday, March the 12th. That'll be the second show. Again, it's March 11th, 12th, 13th. I'll be there on the, uh, the 12th if... Uh, if uh, listeners to this program want to come out, and uh, you'll see me there probably uh, uh, huddling in a corner somewhere, rolled up in the fetal position under a table, uh, crying like a woman. I shouldn't say that. Crying like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> With fright. Uh, Yes. Which, which is what I expect from you of <laughs> when you come to see a show like this. <laughs> and anybody else that would come, obviously. Um, the, the good thing is, when you come to the show, it isn't going to scare the pants off of you. It's going to make you question reality and what's really out there. Because it's, 
it's it's astounding. After the show, I actually am open to a Q and A with the uh, with the public. So I will be coming off the stage and actually uh, t- talking and answering any questions people may have about supernatural activity. Okay, so again, uh, the website is theparanormalshow.net and uh, a bunch of shows coming to the paper mail at Todd Morton Mill, 67 Pottery Road, March 11th, 12th, 13th, and uh, also the uh, 18th, 19th, and 20th. Showtime is 9 p.m. Doors open at 8. Doors open at 8. And the tickets are only $30 a piece. All right, so I'll see you Friday the 12th then, Vlad. I'm looking forward to it. All right, there he is, Vlad Eisenkrim. All right, when we come back, visitor from another friend of the program, Nelson Thal, always full value. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. A lot of old friends of the program checking in tonight. First, we had uh, Vlad Eisengrim. And now... A, uh, a really a giant in um, the field of uh, conspiracy theories, uh, JFK assassination research pioneer and uh, archivist for the late Marshall McLuhan, uh, Nelson Thal checks in here on The Conspiracy Show. Hey, Nelson, how are you, my friend? Pretty good. Good being back with you, and uh, you're doing just a great job. Wonderful show. Thank you. What's uh, what's going on? Well, there's been a lot going on since we spoke last, and I know we haven't got much time, so I'll just rattle off a couple of things. You know, your friend Philip Berg is just doing terrific work unearthing the birther issue. Um, there's a um, there's a Columbia University has been taken to court now by um, a group around uh, Pastor Manning, including Phil Berg. It really appears now that he bought. Um, Steve Dunham, a.k.a. Barry Satoro, a.k.a. Barack Hussein Obama, bought his Columbia University degree. And I spoke to Yaf at Cotto, and, you know, he said that um, if any of the brothers were going to Columbia University, we'd know them. And, uh, of course, nobody's heard of them. And, actually, it turns out that he was in an al-Qaeda training camp over in Pakistan when he was supposed to be doing his Columbia University degree. How do we know that, Nelson? Well, um, just from people who uh, are familiar, whistleblowers. Hmm. Okay. Great old whistleblowers, Richard. I mean, that's what we, with the internet and et cetera, the whistleblowers can be cross-referenced, and so that's a, and, and of course the ongoing underground warfare, uh, Haiti, the uh, Harpequake in Haiti, Harpequake in Chile, uh, and of course the Toyota. Uh, Japanese uh, attack. There's just so much happening. Let Richard, me ask you about. It's, let it's me, a good time to be a conspiracy uh, buff. Well, let me ask you about the the Toyota thing because uh, I, I remember you you sent me the email suggesting that uh, this was, I guess, the Anglo-American establishment uh, firing an attack against uh, Toyota and the Japanese elite uh, by um, uh, bringing in new legislation that would in the U.S. which would in in fact. Uh, create the need for this massive recall and do tremendous economic and PR damage to Toyota. But these these recalls are going back now like 10, 10 years or more, and there have been some fatalities. So there is some legitimacy to these recalls and in, in this concern, is there not? Well, the thing is, it's interesting. Yeah, there's been recalls in the past, but what's interesting is... Um, the nature of this recall, uh, it's all of a sudden, now that the United States government and the leading car salesman, of course, is Barack Obama, 
Um, they've dipped into the legislation, changed the regulations, and um, what's happened is that some of these parts were built by uh, Americans that were hired by the Toyota company uh, and forced to create parts, whereas more parts that were built in Japan, which were better parts and had a higher safety records, were not allowed to be installed in the original cars. So it's like the United States government is changing the regulations in order to say and, and backdate it and say, well, it's no longer as safe as it used to be. But the Japanese are saying, yeah, but it was safer when you allowed us to use our parts. You forced us to use your parts and make them. We told you that those parts weren't going to be as safe, and, uh, but you, want us, you forced us to go ahead and put those, those parts in. So it's quite interesting. I, I think that it's, it's, it's interesting as to how all of a sudden this is happening now that the American government has a big stake in the auto industry. Nelson Thal is yeah. uh, with us, and you can hear him Thursday night at uh, cloakanddagger.ca. Uh, now, the other thing with, with Toyota, in, in this global economy now, you know, uh, people are saying, you know, buy American or buy Canadian, but that doesn't exclude buying a Toyota because many, many Toyota vehicles are, are now assembled in North America. So how would that benefit the U.S. economy by launching this attack against Toyota? Well, I, I think that the thing is, we've it's on a geopolitical level, regardless of whether or not Toyota employs people here. Remember, uh, the Japanese will not uh, have not allowed the Americans to break into their market and build cars, Ford, GM cars in to- in in Japan, the way in which we've opened up our markets to the Japanese, and we can't break into there because. We don't have the leverage. We owe, they buy so many treasury bills, treasury bonds, Fed treasury bills, that um, if we try and break into the market, we're afraid they're going to sell and drop and have a huge effect on our economy. So this may be a way of saying, look, let us into your markets because uh, you're sort of playing around with ours and it's not safe anymore. Nelson Thal, always appreciate the updates. I mentioned uh, great work, Richard. Thursday nights, uh, thatchannel.com actually. Uh, thatchannel.com, and then they can listen to the the archived programs at cloakanddagger.ce, correct? Correct. All right. And we'll uh, get get Nelson back in studio real soon. All right. My thanks to uh, Dan Ellison for his uh, capable work behind the, uh, the board and his audio wizardry. Again, back next week. Eliza Presley and a forensic expert talking about uh, DNA proof that Jesse Guerin Presley is Elvis Presley. We'll also talk UFO disclosure. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, and what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. Coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.